One of my wife's dreams, ever since she was a little girl, was to someday have a grand piano of her very own. Well, shortly after we were married, we happened to come across just a really good deal on a used baby one. Now, Christine's pretty good at math, and it didn't take her long to figure out that if we took all of the checks and all of the cash that we got from our wedding, put it in a pile, and then maybe we put a little bit of our money in the pile too that might be able to pull it off. She started to get pretty excited, but I suggested that we probably should measure our living room first. She thought it was a good idea, so I got my tape measure and started measuring our living room from every angle I could think of. I even got a roll of tape and taped out a silhouette on the floor in the place that she wanted to put it. Looked kind of like a crime scene, except the victim was a musical instrument. We decided together that we could probably pull it off, so we closed the deal didn't take me long to realize that I had forgotten one detail, and it was how we were going to get it in the house. Stairway to the front door was pretty narrow, and there was a 90-degree turn halfway up. It was probably one of the better decisions I have made in my life when I chose to accept the fact that I was not going to figure this one out on my own. Long story short, we hired a company to do it for us. It's a pretty amazing process to watch, especially since there were only two of them that day. It did not look easy, but somehow they managed to pull it off. I came to the conclusion that day, and it's something that I still firmly believe, that when it comes to moving a piano, the more people you have, the better. John Haywood, the English playwright, coined a phrase that expresses a similar sentiment. Many hands make light work. I believe this is true when it comes to many things in life. Certainly true when it comes to doing church and living as a community of faith. We'll come back to that idea in just a moment. First, I want to catch us up on a new message series that we began together last Sunday. Also going to take a quick look at a passage of scripture that I find pretty interesting and also pretty inspiring. This new message series, entitled On a Mission, comes from a story in John's Gospel, John chapter 20, where we see Jesus commissioning his disciples, sending them on a mission. John 20, 21, in Jesus's words, he says to them, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. What was Jesus talking about, though, in this moment? Well, here's what he was talking about. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but from the very beginning, way back to when we humans begin to try and do things our own way and started causing problems for ourselves, 
God has been on a mission to bring hope and help and healing to his people. And that's the same mission that God entrusted to Jesus when he came to this earth. It's the same mission that Jesus entrusts to his disciples. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. I've been thinking a lot about the sermon last Sunday. And looking back, I realized that in some ways it was it was a pretty big message I mean, talking about the difference that we could make if we each learned more about the unique gifts that God has entrusted to us. And we decided to all work together using those gifts. Last Sunday, we talked about the lives that we could change if we committed as a church to putting the needs of others in front of our own desires. Reminded me a little bit of a message a few weeks ago about tithing. Reminded me a little bit about a message from a few months ago about revival. I believe that these types of messages, they're very important. They are vision-casting messages. They're messages that really paint a big picture of the goal that we are working toward. But they can also be a little bit overwhelming because at the end of the day, we're still left with a very important question. The question is, how do we get from here to there? It's a great question. How do we get from here to there? I think I may have found the answer to that question this last week. In a very unlikely place, an old Murray movie called What About Bob? I don't know if you've seen it before, but Bob, he's the main character in the movie. He's got a lot of problems, and so he starts going to a therapist. And he just can't even see how he can get from where he is to where he wants to be. Therapist gave him some pretty good advice. He said, baby steps. Just take baby steps. And Bob's character really took that advice to heart because the rest of the movie, you see him just sort of shuffling, looking at his feet, saying, baby steps. Sometimes in our walk with God, sometimes God sort of propels us forward rapidly. I think about another story that comes a little bit later in the New Testament when Jesus sends the disciples out two by two. I mean, that must have been scary. They learned fast. So sometimes we have seasons in our lives where God really does propel us forward. But I think more often than not, our growth, it's much more gradual. It just happens one baby step at a time. This morning, I want to invite each of us to just take a deep breath. This morning, we are going to keep it simple. This morning, we are going to go back to the beginning, the day when Jesus called his first disciples to simply follow him. Will you read with me Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 18? While Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. 
Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Every time I read that passage of scripture, I can't help but think that there's maybe a few parts that were left out. Whole thing just seems way too simple to me. I'm pretty sure that if I would have been standing there on the seashore that day, that I would have had a few questions. Honestly, I probably would have added a little bit of sarcastic commentary like that mystery science theater movie. I mean, the first thing I probably would have said as I watched Jesus picking out his team was, hey, Jesus, you do know that these guys are fishermen, right? I mean, fishermen were not known for being incredibly intelligent. I'm, I'm not making that up this morning. At this particular point in time in the Jewish culture, here's how it worked. All the kids started out in school from a pretty young age. And the teachers were always just on the lookout for the students that showed the most promise. They were looking for the best and the brightest. And they were identified, they were kept in school, and they were groomed for future leadership positions. Think about Paul. Paul was one of those people. The other students, the ones who didn't show quite as much promise, they were identified and basically they were kicked out of school and they were encouraged to pursue a trade of some sort. And all of this happened at a pretty young age. So the simple fact that these four men were fishermen tells us that they did not make the cut, at least with their old teachers. I didn't think about this until just yesterday. From some other stories in the New Testament, I'm not even sure Peter was that great of a fisherman. I mean, think about it. There are at least two places that tell us that he fished all night and didn't catch a single thing. And Jesus' selection of these particular people tells us a lot about God and the things that God values. And I know this is one of those things I come back to again and again, but I think it's just so encouraging and so fascinating. The way that God, again and again, Old Testament, New Testament, chooses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. It almost seems like he has a preference for the least likely. My guess, my guess is that maybe it has something to do with the likelihood of a person in depending on God's strength or their own strength. I'm not sure, but either way, I believe there's definitely a message in this detail for us. The second thing that I'm pretty sure I would have commented on if I were there that day on the seashore was Jesus' sales pitch and how easily Peter, Andrew, James, and John bought into the whole thing. I mean, did you catch it? I didn't even, didn't even make sense to me. Verse 19, Jesus simply says, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And what does that even mean? I would have probably encouraged Jesus to throw in a few incentives. 
or at least hint at who he was and what he was up to. Or maybe I could have convinced Peter, hey, don't you think you should get a little bit more details about this whole thing? But Jesus' invitation was simple. He said, follow me. And they did. It's all it took. What exactly made those men follow Jesus that day? Certainly wasn't a logical thing to do. They didn't know Jesus. They didn't know where they were going. They didn't know how long they would be gone. They didn't ask who was going to take care of the business while they were gone or even their families. We know that many of the disciples were married, probably had children, but they followed anyway. Can you imagine what that conversation must have been like when Peter eventually gets back home and he's trying to explain it all to his wife? Peter, where have you been? Oh, you'll never believe it. I was at work uh, one day and there was this guy. He just showed up on the seashore and he said, uh, follow me. So you quit your job, huh? I mean, it doesn't make sense logically. To me, there's only one thing that I can think of that would have caused those men to follow Jesus that day. And it's that they, they felt something in their heart. They felt the Holy Spirit nudging them, calling them, guiding them. And they decided to say yes that day. And you remember, of course, that when we read these stories, we're doing so uh, from the vantage point of, of, of looking back. So much that the disciples had no idea of when they were right in the middle of the story. No way that they could have perceived all it was that Jesus had planned for them. One other thing I also can't help but think of from time to time is whether or not there were other people that Jesus invited to follow him, but who said no, who decided to stay behind, who decided to stay in their old life. If that did happen, those people who were called, they sure missed out, didn't they? I want to read just three more verses this morning, and they're the ones that immediately follow the passage we already read together. Again, immediately follow. So this is Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? And we know that it was just the beginning. And the disciples and Jesus went on to do even greater things. And by the end of it all, when all the dust had settled, 
God had used every single one of them to advance his mission to bring hope and help and healing to his people. Before we begin to wrap things up this morning, just one more detail that I want to zoom in on, and it's the simple fact that Jesus chose to surround himself with others. He didn't have to. If anybody could do it on their own, it was Jesus. But he didn't. Why would he do that? Maybe it's because he understood that many hands make light work. Maybe it's because he knew how beautiful and how powerful it was when people took the unique gifts that God had blessed them with and put them all together to make a difference. Maybe he just loved spending time with them. Probably all of those things. But one thing that it teaches us is the importance of community in living out our faith. All of you are here this morning. You get that. You understand that. But I know that some folks really think that our relationship with God is strictly and only a personal thing. That's at the center of it, to be sure. And I I do think there's seasons in our walk with God when it's really more of just him and us. But the big picture, the long-term plan is for us always to be living out, walking out our faith in community. Our passage of scripture only covered the call of the first four disciples. We all know that there were eight more, nine if you count Matthias, And this is sort of a side note. If you have ever been curious about the occupations of the disciples, we don't know for all of them, but basically it was four fishermen, a tax collector, a zealot, a thief, and together this band of unlikelies changed history forever. And to think it all began with a simple yes, following that nudge, that call of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. Probably didn't make sense, but they did it anyway. Next Sunday, I'm very excited to welcome a guest speaker. Dr. Jose Martinez will be here, and he will be continuing this same theme with us on a mission putting our beliefs into action, what it might look like to move in the direction of being a more missional church. Over the next few weeks, we are also going to begin to talk about some more specific ways that each of us can give and can get involved in the ministries at First Christian Church. Not talking about big, giant stuff. Talking about little stuff, like being a greeter, welcoming people when they come through the door, helping us set stuff up, take stuff down, make cookies. That's a very important job. Little stuff like that, baby steps like that. This is the time of the year, October, when we begin to plan for the ministries of next year. We also look back on 
what we've been able to accomplish in the current year. And for the last, for the last few years, at the end of the day, we've been coming up a little bit short financially. Not surprising, we've really been investing in growth as a church. But moving forward, I know that this is a, a, a corner that we want to turn. I've never, ever thought about it this way until just these past few days. But did you know that if everyone who comes to church here just gave five more dollars a week, we would not be behind at the end of the year anymore. In fact, we would have more than enough to do everything that we want to do next year. Never thought about it that way. But it's really amazing how many hands really can make light work. This morning I am reminded of the fact that God has a call on every single one of our lives. One of my favorite sayings, one that I draw strength from, is this. God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. Sometimes we hesitate to follow where he's leading because we just don't know how. He will never let us down if we follow where he leads. Our faith challenge this week is to help somebody move a piano. No, I'm just kidding. Our faith challenge for this week is to really just tune in to the Holy Spirit. And when you feel it nudging you, calling you to pitch in and help out somewhere, don't hesitate. Don't overanalyze. Just do it. 200 people, that's 400 hands. The potential is pretty amazing. Will you pray with me this morning? God, thank you so much that you meet us where we are. You love us as we are. In fact, you'll never love us more than you do right now in this moment. But you're also not finished with us. Please continue the good work that you have begun in our hearts. Show us ways that we can be a blessing to others. And Lord, I thank you for the way that you minister to our needs. We reaffirm our trust in you this morning and our commitment as your disciples. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.